We'll begin our reading in James chapter 5 and beginning in verse 7 down through verse 12. He says, Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet's who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation." Patience is an interesting virtue. They say it's the one that you admire most in the person that's behind you and the one that you despise in the person that's in front of you. Maybe that's because often we lack it. But you know, as I was thinking about patience this last week, I was recalling a time when my understanding of patience deepened. We were building a building. It was a pole building, a rather large one. We had the poles in the ground and the purlins, the two-by-fours that run horizontally. And we had those on. So we could climb up the purlins to get to the top of the posts and we're about to set the trusses that form the roof on top of the posts. We were going to do that with a loader and a pole hooked to the end of the loader and then a chain hooked to the trusses so you can lift them up and set them into place, fasten them, and then get the loader out of the way to pick up the next one. Now, I'm not doing this to teach you how to build a building. I'm doing this to set the stage because right at that time, the owner that I was building the building for, we were talking about setting the trusses, which we hadn't done yet, And he said, I'm going to have Clay run the loader. And then the thing that he said next to me really caught my attention. He says, Clay will be a good guy for that. He's very patient. And I thought, patient? That was a good way to put that. Patient is what? Well, the word in the the passage, it's a combination word meaning long and tempered. So long tempered. In other words, having a long fuse, not short fused. And impatience, I find in myself when I'm impatient, what do I want to do? I want to not take the time to figure out whatever's going on. I want to kind of push forward, kind of ram ahead. I've noticed I tend to break things and hurt people when I do that. It's not a good thing. It caught my ear that he described him as patient. And I thought about it. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be the one hanging on the side of a pole 20 feet off the ground over there while he's swinging this big truss in overhead. Patience is a good word. I like patience in this situation. I want somebody very patient. I've set a lot of trusses in my life. And if you've got a jerky crane driver, it kind of can get a little scary up there at times. And so I like that word patience. And I thought, you know what? Patience is more than just not blowing your fuse. Patience is actually kind of an approach to life. Being There's a calmness with patience. There's an alertness of watching and being able to see things as they are. To be able to handle things correctly. Patience is a very good thing. Well, that's what James is coming to today when we get to this passage in chapter 5. He tells them very clearly to be patient. He says in verse 7, right off the bat, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then he gives that example of the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rains. And then in verse 8, he says, You also be patient. And establish your hearts. That word establish your hearts means to make sure they're, well, they're established, that they're set, they're firm, they're strong. He says establish your hearts, strengthen your hearts to be patient in this way. And then a little bit farther in the passage, he points out that the judge is standing at the door and then gives as an example of patience the prophets. And he says, look at the prophets and look at their patience 
that they had. And then he uses another word, the word steadfast in verse 11, which is similar. And he says, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, those prophets who stood their ground, remained steadfast, were patient with what they were going through. And then he used that word to refer to Job as well. He says, look at the steadfastness of Job. Now, as I mentioned, steadfast and patient are two different words, but they're related. We can see their relation because he's telling them, look, be patient, be patient, be patient. Look at how patient they are. Look at how steadfast he is. Look at, and so they're saying kind of the same thing. The distinction in this word comes down to two things. The word patience usually means being long-suffering with difficult people. When you have somebody that you're dealing with that is a difficult person to work with or you're butting heads or you're having a struggle with a difficult person, patience is the word that deals with that. The second one, steadfast, it usually deals more with circumstances, when you have difficult circumstances that you're in. And that's why you can see kind of probably why they changed the wording a little bit. Because like with Job, Job wasn't always the best in patience. There were times when he was saying, you know what, I kind of wish I'd never been born. With uh, Now, he was going through some tremendous struggles. But he definitely, there was a little bit of complaining that he did, but he refrained from sinning and doing it. And uh, he's commended for that. But you know what, he still, he hung in there. There's, he even got to the point where his wife said, you know what, you ought to just curse God and die. And Job says to her, we get good from the Lord and we won't take our evil along with it. But that kind of brings it down to those two differences. One's dealing with difficult people. The other one dealing with circumstances. The point is, we're supposed to overcome in both of those situations. God wants us to be patient. Now, notice right in the very beginning of His command to be patient, it says, be patient, therefore, brothers. Be patient, therefore. Now, kind of that old saying, if you're sick of hearing it, I'm glad because that means you're getting it, right? You, you, you remember it. Bible scholars always tell us that whenever you see the word therefore, you're supposed to back up and see what it's there for. It's a connection word. It connects us to the things that he just said or it may even be the context of the whole book leading up to this point. Therefore, be patient. Now, what is the therefore that he's dealing with? Well, this is a little bit difficult to understand because it could be a couple different things. Some commentators, in fact, I found that most commentators... See, the, the people that we dealt with last week, the, the wealthy people that were taking advantage of the poorer people in this situation, as being unbelievers and outside of the flock of God, I have a little bit of difficulty seeing it that way because I don't know why I'd be writing a big part of a book or a section of passage of the book to people that probably aren't going to be there to hear the reading of it anyway. Some have said, well, maybe he addressed them outside the church so the people inside the church could learn from the knowledge. I could see that being the point. But at any rate, the point comes down to this. The people in the passage before, were they believers or unbelievers? Or a possibility of both, connection of both. Maybe we'll just leave it at that. And what is the patience that they have trouble dealing with? You see, because most commentators coming down on this side, the first six verses of chapter 5, you find a group of people that are poor and being mistreated by a group of people that are wealthy and not paying them their wages. And so when he says, therefore, be patient... The, most commentators say he's, he's referring to the people that are getting cheated. You guys be patient. Be patient. Don't blow up. Don't go off. Be patient with what you're going through. And so you look at the people that are causing the suffering, and then you have the people that are suffering, and the people that are suffering need patience to be able to deal with their suffering, patience to deal with the, the hard people that they're dealing with and the hard circumstances that they're dealing with because of it. But you know, that word patience, I think, can apply to everybody in the situation. Because when you back up even farther in back into, into chapter 4, 
Remember he had dealt with the people? He said, you people that are rushing ahead making your plans without considering the will of God. Remember that's the passage where he said, you, you say today or tomorrow we're going to go do this, we're going to go do that. Uh, you should be saying, Lord willing. You should be taking the time to consider God's will, looking into God's will, and planning according to God's will. And then even then, you say, if it's God's will, we'll do this. And so he's dealing with a group of people that are rushing ahead and they're planning, thinking they're in control of more than they're actually in control of because they don't actually control a lot of circumstances out there. Now, that's a group of people that needs patience, right? But then also, when you get into the very beginning part of chapter 5, the first six verses, you're dealing with condemnation on these wealthy people that are not paying their workers their wages. Now, why are they not paying their workers their wages? Because they're trying to get what they can. They're trying to, they're not patient in gaining wealth. They're not patient in their success of their business. They're taking from other people or not paying other people their due, which is amounts to the same thing because of their impatient on their quick road that they want to wealth and power. And so they're not being patient either. And so when I look at it and I say this, be patient, I think it applies to everybody. It's going to be patient is exactly what the people that are rushing ahead and not considering God's will and making their planning. They need to be patient. The person that's tempted to take from somebody else because they want to get on their road to success, you need to be patient and wait on the Lord and pay people what you owe them. And, and you need to be, you need patience in that. Don't set that as your highest goal. Making, pleasing God your highest goal and walking in that patience. And then the people that are undergoing some suffering and need to be paid and they're not getting paid like they should, they need some patience as well. The point is, they really kind of know what, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, there's always a need for patience. There's always a need to be slow to blow that fuse. Slow to react when antagonized by somebody that you're finding to be difficult in your life. Slow to be discouraged by circumstances that you find to be hard. In all things, we need patience. Now, as we consider that this morning here in this passage, I find three different aspects. The middle one kind of doesn't really so much an aspect, but I don't use the word anyway. The first aspect that we see of patience that he lists in this passage is the focus. Just like he repeats the word patience many times and then throws in steadfast a couple times on top of it, and you end up with about six different times that he's basically telling them to be patient. He does the same thing with something else. But there's something else that he focuses on. He's going to repeat it like three times in the passage with different words. It gives them a focus, a reason to be patient. And that thing that he gives them to focus on is the coming of the Lord. He says, be patient for the coming of the Lord. Be patient because of the coming of the Lord. We're going to let that be our motivation is this coming of the Lord for being patient. And so he kind of helps them to set their sights on something else. When we're focused on the circumstances that are around us, we can have trouble being patient. When we're focused on the person that we're having a hard time dealing with, we can have a hard time being patient. But you know what? If we can get our focus where it needs to be, get our focus on Christ and His return, then that is a great encouragement toward being patient. The focus that we see is the coming of the Lord. Now, the first thing that we find is that the coming of the Lord sets the duration of our patience. He uses that to tell them how long they need to be patient for. Because in verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers. Notice he says, until the coming of the Lord. And so patience is supposed to be a big part of our life for how long? The whole rest of the way. All the way till the Lord comes to get us. That's how long we need to be patient. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of coaches. I don't know how many times as I was in different sports, all the coaches told us the same thing. 
You play until the whistle blows. You go till the whistle. You don't stop till the whistle. You know, there's games and, and wrestling matches and stuff that are finished in the last seconds. You've got to go till the whistle. Well, that's what James is telling us here. You know what? We need to go to the whistle. How long do we have to exercise patience? All the way to the whistle. All the way till Christ comes back. Maybe we should say the trumpet because that's what's going to sound when he comes. And we're going to go all the way to that trumpet blast. That's how long we're going to be patient. It kind of reminds me of Peter. They were talking about forgiveness, and Peter says to the Lord, he says, Lord, how, how many times do we have to forgive somebody? If our brother sins against us, do we have to forgive them seven times? Now, Peter was looking at that like I said it, like it's a high number. And Jesus says, well, that's a beginning, <laughs> basically. He says, I'm not telling you 70, seven times. I'm telling you 70 times seven. In other words, Peter, you, you threw out what you thought would be a long game. This would be the end of my patience with that person. I'm not going to forgive him anymore after seven times. Jesus said, Peter... Patience is just getting warmed up at that point. You see, that's the point. Life is a long game. It's not the short game. It's a long run. One year in track, I ran the two mile. That was the longest race that we had. I was not a good sprinter. I'm not that fast. But I could run a long time without getting tired. And so I decided to do that for a year. And you know what? A lot of it's about that last lap. And that's what he's saying. Look, life is a long run. You need to be, you need to be focused on that last lap. You need to have that kind of a patience. So the duration of it is set by the coming of the Lord. How long will we be patient? Until He returns. But then He also points out in verses 8 and 9, the coming of the Lord sets the reason. He's the reason for our patience. He says in verse 8, You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, He's saying, look, you need to be patient with people. Why? Because Christ is coming back. You need to be ready for His return. Now, if you just blew a fuse and Christ comes back, whoops, you know, that's not a bad way to look at life. Well, the thing that I'm contemplating doing here, is that what I want to be doing when Christ comes back? That's not a bad way to make some of our decisions. In fact, that's exactly what He's doing. He's saying, look, this is the reason you need to be patient. Do you want to be being short with people? Do you want to be blowing your steam over those circumstances at the moment that Christ returns? He's going to come back any time. Let patience be a big part of your life. It's one of the fruits that the Holy Spirit gives us as listed in Galatians chapter 5. But he tells them, look, Christ could come back at any minute. In fact, when you look at verse 9, he even enhances it because he refers to him as the judge. The judge is standing at the door. When I was thinking through this, I just got this impression of Christ standing at the door and kind of hand on the knob, so to speak. That's the impression that he's given here. He's right at the door. And I remember with five kids, we had a lot of years of putting kids to bed. And uh, they weren't always excited to go to bed. And with five kids, you usually have multiple kids in one room. You know, sometimes we had the boys' room and the girls' room. So you have three boys in one room and two girls in the other room. And you're trying to get them to sleep. Oh, and they have partners in crime to help them stay up. It's not always easiest to get them to sleep and that. But I remember the one thing that was always a big incentive. Sometimes you'd hear a little something back in the bedroom and you'd go back and you'd just stand by the door and listen. Sometimes you could hear voices in there. I think Dad's outside the door. <laughs> or sometimes it just take a touch in the knob so that they hear something hit the knob and then all of a sudden everything would quiet down in the bedroom. And then they'd kind of go off to sleep. If that didn't work, just kind of open it a little bit. If they see you, then they know. Put that wide. Oh, Dad's here. Well, that's what James is doing with us here. He's saying, look, you don't want to be that kind of person with all these grudges against all these people and, and that kind of person that's bitter over his circumstances and all those kind of things when the Lord comes back. You want to be somebody that's patient. And one of the reasons is because when he comes back, you're going to stand before the judgment and you're going to give answer for your life and your attitudes and your actions and your words. Judgment day is going to be a lot shorter for you if you've been patient with other people. 
So it's the reason or the motivation for the patience as well. So when he's trying to help us be patient, he tries to help us refocus our gaze. Right? He tries to help us focus on not just the difficult person or the difficult circumstances that we're in, but focus on those in light of, in light of the return of Christ and our relationship with Him. Then all of a sudden, your issue can become a very different issue because then you have different things that come into it too, like uh, this difficult person that I'm dealing with. Wouldn't it be great if they became a Christian? Well, if I have an uh, opportunity to let my light shine instead of blowing up over my own rights, then maybe there's an opportunity to for, open a door for witness there or to be a benefit to someone else. This reminds me of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So he's writing to a group of people that have been going through some difficult circumstances, right? So they need some steadfastness. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter's writing to these people and he says, you're in some tough circumstances. And he says, you know what? God has a purpose in those circumstances and it's to try your faith. It's to test you. Why? What's he looking for, do you think, in trying circumstances? Well, one of the things he's looking for is patience. He's looking for steadfastness. And all of that can result in, what's the very last part of that verse? All of that can result in glory. Glory at the return of Christ. And so focusing our attention on the return of Christ can greatly enhance our patience. It gives us the duration of our patience. It gives us the reason for our patience. It's a great thing to set our sights on. Well, secondly, not only do we see the focus, but then he also gives us some examples. The first example he gives is the farmer. You've got to be patient to be a farmer. You till the field, get it all ready, plant the seeds, and then you just, you just got to wait. Mainly it's a waiting game. In fact, he says, look at the farmers. They're patient enough for the early and the latter rains. Now, over in Israel, they have a fall planting season and the rainy season comes just after that. So they get their, their seeds planted in the ground and the dirt over the seeds and then the early rains hit. That's like October, November. And then it goes through the, the winter and then in the spring, then the rains start again and those rains come like March, April. And they water the crop again as the the crop is coming up and produces a good crop. It takes both those rains to get the good crop. But that's a waiting game from October, November to March, April. Farmers do it all the time. They're always patient for the outcome and their patience pays off. And he's telling them, look, the same thing in you. With your life and your circumstances, patience. God will work in your life. God will work in your circumstances. Just like the farmers got to trust Him for the rain, you can trust Him for whatever you need. Trust Him. Be patient. He gives another example, and that's the example of the prophets. He says, look at the prophets of old. In fact, he says, you know what? He says, we look up to them. Those prophets that endured, that remained steadfast, even though they were in hard times, we look up to those people. Think about Jeremiah. Him and Isaiah both, when God sent them to Israel, he said, nobody's going to listen to you. But you know what I want you to do? Tell them anyway. And tell them over and over again. And so both of these prophets go into their job knowing you're not going to have one convert You're not going to have any success in that sense. But I have a purpose for it, so you're going to continue doing it. Well, Jeremiah is telling them you're going to get carried off into captivity if you don't turn from your sin. They said, we don't want to hear that. And so they really abused Jeremiah. They arrested him. They put him in stocks. At one time, they put him in a pit, this miry pit of just junk. And uh, they left him in that pit to die. So he went through a lot of stuff. But you know what? We're still reading the book of Jeremiah today. 
You look up to prophets. You don't look at them and say, man, what a failure. They never got a convert. No, we look back at them and gain courage from them because we say, look, look at what they were given this tough task to do and all this hardship because of it. And they did it. And they stood steadfast to the end. They didn't back down. They didn't quit. They fulfilled it all the way to the end. You know, it's kind of like there was a kid on our football team when I was in high school. Very overweight kid and a very slow at running. And he came out for the team one year. And he was, like I said, he was very slow. And we would run sprints. And those sprints at practice would just about kill him. We, our whole team would be at the line and he's about halfway to the other line, still running. And we're waiting for him and we're waiting for him. And you know what? Nobody ever criticized him for being slow. Nobody ever looked down on him for that. Especially when you're 10 sprints into it, 15 sprints into it, and he's still going. We are cheering him on. Why? Because he has an obstacle that most of us didn't have. And he was overcoming it. He was doing it. What was pretty easy for us was very difficult for him. And he was hanging in there. And we admired that in him. And he didn't quit. Well, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you look at these people that went through difficult circumstances and they didn't quit. And you say, man, that took some doing. That's, that's commendable. He says, you just need to be that same person. You exercise that same patience. You have that same steadfastness. Look at the prophets for your example. Many of the prophets went through suffering. In fact, Jesus would tell the people of Israel, which of your prophets did, they not, did you guys not kill or stone or mistreat? The prophets are a great example. And then he lists a specific one, the prophet Job, in his lifestyle. And he says, look at Job and all the things that he went through. And what do we see in the end? We see the mercy of God as God just heaps all these blessings upon Job in the end. And what is the point of Job? Job made it all the way to the end and he still worshipped God. He had some questions for God, as anybody would. And he had his ups and downs, as everybody would. But he continued and he worshipped God. And so he gives us examples. He says, here's the examples that you can draw from. Think of the farmer and be patient. Think of the prophets and be steadfast. Think of Job and hang in there. And then lastly, he gives us the character of patience. How do I know when I'm being patient? What can I look for in my life? Well, there's two things that he lists within this passage. There's others as well in other passages. But for the sake of this passage, there's two things that he points out. The first one is that it does not grumble. Patience does not grumble. Now, grumble is not a word that's like a loud weep and a wail. It's actually more of a kind of an undertone. Kind of a, it's kind of a groaning. In verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Remember, this is the problem that they're having all the way back from the beginning of chapter 4, where he's talking about all their passions that they had, and they're, because of that, they're having quarrels and fights among them. He tells us, Do not grumble against one another. We're supposed to have a positive outlook toward one another. If you're grumbling about the other people around you or the person even that you're having a hard time dealing with and you're not being patient. That's not patience. Patience is going to approach this with a good attitude. No grumbling. You know, grumbling kind of reminds me of the the children of Israel back in the day in the wilderness. And God's feeding them in a miraculous way. He blows in a bunch of quail. Gives them manna, which the word manna means what is it. They didn't even know what it was. It's miraculous food from heaven. Gives them water from a rock. Taking care of them in miraculous ways and they start groaning and complaining. Boy, remember when we were back in Egypt how good we had it? (laughs) They were crying and miserable back in Egypt. But they, what did they do? The Bible just says, uh, King James says they murmured. It's that kind of low, rumble, grumbly. They're murmuring against God. That's, that's not patience. You know, James, he's actually in chapter 4, he already dealt with this with the people a little bit. He said, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a, a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and he who is able to save and to destroy. 
but who are you to judge your neighbor? In fact, that's exactly the person that he's talking about now where he says, you remember the judge is standing at the door. And so the point that he made is, look, there is a judge out there, but you know what? You're not it. And so rather than judge your neighbor and grumble against your neighbor, why don't you treat them kindly and learn how to be patient with them instead? The character of patience is it does not grumble. But the last characteristic of patience that he gives us in this chapter is that it does not overextend. It's kind of like I'd put in the same category that group of people back earlier in the book of James that said, we're going to go do this, we're going to spend a year here, we're going to make this profit, bring it home, made all their plans without thinking about the will of God. It's kind of that group, I think, again, that patience is applying to here. Because it says, it says in verse 12, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. He's saying, don't, don't swear. And it's not talking about using curse words like swearing, like the language swearing. It's talking about swearing by something. I swear on my mother's grave. I swear by the sword of my father, Inigo Montoya, if you've ever seen The Princess Bride. <laughs> it's, that, it's that kind of a swear, right? It's that kind of an oath, pronouncing oath. Jesus spoke against it. In Matthew chapter 5, He says again, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is a footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He would elaborate uh, later in Matthew chapter 23. He'd criticize the leaders because the leaders would swear something with an oath, but then they made loopholes to be able to get out of those things. So they'd say, if you swear by the altar, you can get out of that. But if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, well, you can't get out of that. In other words, they would make a way for them to look honest and still be dishonest at the same time. Make a confirming statement that they're going to wiggle out of it later. They're just not letting you in on it. And so Jesus corrected them heavily for that. And so the point is that, you know what, we need to let our yeses be yes and our noes be no. And how does that apply to being patient? Well, I think it's recognizing that you're not in control of everything. And it's back to that will of God thing. If God wills, we'll do this or that. We're not in control of this. To be honest with you, this is a, probably one of the more difficult passages for me to preach and to study. I heard a preacher one time say, every time i got one finger pointing at you, there's four pointing back at me. And I feel very much like that because this is an area I struggle. Because when I'm dealing with the stuff that I deal with with construction, there's very seldom jobs that you open up and they stay the same. They, they tend to get bigger because you find other problems when you open up a can of worms that you didn't know what was in that wall or that floor or that roof system or whatever the case may be. And so things tend to grow in how long they take you. And I also have a tendency to be overly optimistic when somebody says, hey, can you do this for me? Ah, we'll, we'll find the spot to fit that in. And you know what I'm doing right there? I'm thinking I have more control than I actually have. Sometimes everything ends up working out okay and sometimes not so much. And I end up with somebody that's mad at me and stuff. You know, and to my own fault. I'm not blaming, I'm not making excuses to my own fault. Because I think, you know, the, the plate's already full, but yeah, I can fit one more thing. When yeah, the, those other things that are already on it are going to grow a little bit. What is, it, what is he talking about here? He's talking about not overextending yourself. Not thinking that you control more than you do control. To having a humility that inspires a patience that says, you know what? I don't know that I can do that. I don't know that I'll be able to, or, or, or maybe no, I can't on some things. But that's the kind of thing that I have a real struggle with this one, is knowing where to draw that line. Well, you know, 
the responsibility is ours. Each person has to manage their own life. In patience, we've got to keep our speech simple, let our yes be yes, our no is no, recognizing that we're not in control of all the things that are around us, and we're going to hit things that are going to need to adjust or adjust schedules and stuff like that. I think that's where patience comes into that. So when we look at patience, what does it do? Well, it doesn't grumble against other people, and it doesn't overextend itself, claiming to be able to do things that are maybe outside of our ability or outside of our level of control. So in this life, in all areas of life, we need patience. You're going to come across difficult people. You're going to come across difficult circumstances. And our goal in all of those needs to be to exercise patience. To help us do that, God gave us a focus. Gave us the focus of Christ's return and when He comes back and being ready for that return and looking forward to it. We also are given examples Examples of the farmer, the prophets, Job. And then we also have the character of patience, that it doesn't groan or complain. If we look at the great example that we all see in Christ, willing to go to that cross on our behalf, willing to lay down his life for us. And it says, how did he go? He went silent, like a lamb before the slaughter, so he could be what he needed to be for us, to provide for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. That's the kind of patience that we need to have.